start off, I actually want us to read our scripture today. So we're reading from Mark chapter 4. And it's actually 1 through 20, but uh, just for time's sake, I actually would like to start at verse 9, if that's okay. So let's start at verse 9, and I'm going to read it for you guys. You guys can uh, go ahead and follow along on the screens, or if you guys have your Bibles with you. And let's just go ahead and read through this really quickly, verse, starting from verse 9. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How will you then understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Okay, so that's our passage for today. And what I would like to do, so this is a pretty famous passage, Jesus' parable of the sower, but what I want to do is actually start in the middle where we started reading verse 9, because that, that's an aspect of this passage I think we almost never um, stop to think about and talk about, right? And so, you know, this is after the crowds have dispersed, it's in the evening, and Jesus is just with his disciples. And so his disciples come to Jesus and they're like, can you please explain to us these stories that you've been telling, right? You're, you're telling these parables, like, we want to understand them. Can you please just, like, explain to us? Like, we know there's something important there for us to get. Can you, can you explain it to us? And so in verse 11, this is Jesus' response. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. It's kind of a weird statement <laughs> for Jesus to say, right? Because I think usually we, we think of Jesus as the master teacher. And we think of the parables as like his teaching device, right? He, he's using these parables to help people better understand these spiritual truths, which, which is true. I mean, that, that is part of what they do. But I think here he seems to imply that the, uh, the parables are somehow meant to almost veil the meaning a little bit, right? To, to veil it. And so um, I guess here Jesus, I guess the question really is, is Jesus like indicating that there's sort of like this special group of people that he has specially selected and he's going to reveal the secret knowledge to them and everybody else is just on the outside and they just, they just get it in parables, right? They just get it in riddles. Is that kind of what Jesus is saying here? Well, the first thing I think we can look at to say, no, that's not what he's saying is uh, Jesus, he quotes here from the book of Isaiah, okay? And, you know, like that they would be seeing that they would be ever seeing but not perceiving, that they would be hearing but not understanding, or something like that. Sorry, I might, I might have misquoted it. But um, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah, and if you look at the book of Isaiah, it's not talking about God selecting some special group of people to like, give them special knowledge, right? But actually what it's talking about is how God's people um, are stubborn, <laughs> that they have hard hearts and they reject 
uh, God's truth and to reject his commands, right? And so that's what it talks about in Isaiah where he's quoting from. And so um, rather, I think what really is the difference between a person who's, I guess, on the inside and a person who's on the outside, right? The person on the inside who God revealed, Jesus reveals clearly to them the, the truths of the kingdom and the person that's on the outside, I, I think it really just comes down to what we're seeing from the disciples, right? That they're there with Jesus. They're they're seeking him out. They're, they're following him. They're like, Jesus, please explain this to us. We want to understand what you're trying to teach us, right? And so I think maybe that that actually may be all it means to have these like ears to hear, right? And these eyes to see, right? That there's this kind of this softness of heart and this, this seeking out of Jesus, seeking out of the truth. Jesus, we want to understand while there's also those who are on the outside, right? That there's, that there's a, a whole lot of people who are just content to see Jesus come through their town, you know, maybe hear a message, and then for the most part, just kind of shrug it off and go back to their day, right? And, and, and for them, I think what's surprising for us to hear from, what's surprising for us to hear Jesus say here is that for those who um, are heart of heart uh, with, with closed eyes and closed mind, He's willing to let you miss it. He's willing to let you miss it, which might be kind of a hard thing for us to hear. Like, I, I think normally we would think that, um, you know, if, if Jesus, you know, we expect that if Jesus really loves us, he wouldn't do any, wouldn't he do anything and everything to make us see, right? I think we sometimes have this mentality like, well, if Jesus really wants me to believe, like, he'll make it happen, right? He'll, he'll do whatever it takes. And I mean, that is true, right? I mean, Jesus has done whatever it takes, that he, 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 he has spared nothing to open that door for us through the cross. But I think it's also true that what we see is that he honors and respects our freedom as people to choose. And so I guess even if that choice means that we'll miss him, and so I think the question that we, we ask, this is a very long introduction, I, I promise we'll get into the parable at some point, but I think the question that that kind of begs is like, why would Jesus do that? Like, why would Jesus allow me to make a choice that would make me miss him, <laughs> right? And it kind of reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis um, said. Basically, C.S. Lewis, he said, uh, love requires freedom, okay? Love requires freedom because you, you can't force somebody to love you. Right? Love cannot be coerced. And so love, you owe, love always has to be a choice. And therefore, love always requires freedom. And so, one, I think that kind of gives perspective on why God created us with freedom and with free will. That's because he created us for love. Right? He, he didn't create us for, to be servants. Right? He created us for love. And I think we can also see that God was all about consent uh, long before we were ever having that conversation. And so all that to say that Jesus reveals himself to those who have the heart to really listen and to really seek the truth. Or maybe another way to say it is basically you're in if you want to be in, but he'll let you be out if you want to because he, he doesn't want just your, your body. He, he wants your heart. 
And so, yeah, I mean, now the fact, of course, the, the fact that we're here today, the fact that you're in this room, the fact that we're, or, you know, joining us online, and the fact that we're looking intently at the scriptures, trying to, to see, like, what does this mean? I think it postures us kind of very similarly to the disciples coming to Jesus, like, please explain this to us. We want to understand what you're trying to tell us. And so I think what Jesus would probably say to us this morning is that the secrets of the kingdom will be given to you, that we're, we're, par- par- we're postured well to be able to receive from him his truth. So anyway... That was a very long intro. Let's get into the parable. I'm going to move through this very quickly. Each of these soils could probably be a message in itself. But this, this parable of the sower, right, this imagery of a farmer who's going out and, and casting seed out in the field, and it, it falls onto these different soils, and there's different results. Basically, I think Jesus is describing different scenarios of why a person who receives the word of God, uh, why they might not progress into a mature and flourishing disciple. Okay, and really, I would say it's, I kind of see it as a progression. Okay, it's it's sort of this progression with um, four potential failure points. <laughs> There's four potential failure points that might prevent a person from really maturing and flourishing as a disciple. Okay, so let's just go through it really quick. So the first the first path that he talks about is the the seed that fell on the path, right? And he, and I would say the first failure point here that Jesus describes is um, having a closed mind, okay? having a closed mind, verses 5 and verse 12. And so Jesus, he says that uh, basically, you know, this, you know, this seed that falls on the path, it's, it's those who, they hear the word of God, but immediately uh, Satan comes and, and takes away the word from their heart so that it prevents them from being able to believe, right? So, I mean, I think that immediately begs the question, like, what in the world is that talking about? Like, like how does Satan take the word from a person's heart, right? Like, can Satan reach into my mind and, like, steal my thoughts? Like, what in the world is that talking about? And so there, I think there's a, a helpful parallel passage here. If, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I think this is a helpful parallel thought. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel who displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so here it describes a similar thing, but basically it says that Satan, he blinds our minds. He blinds us. How does he blind us? And I, and I think the answer to that question is through lies, right? Through, through propaganda. Um, to, to kind of help us understand, I think something that has become very clear over the last couple of years that, that I think we're all much more sensitive to and aware of is just how much our perspective of the world and our perception of reality is shaped by the media that we consume. And I think that's, regardless of where you sit on these different controversial issues and what side you're on, these different um, issues, I think something that's become clear to all of us is just how crazy it is that you could have two people who are from the same state, same city, same house, right? Same family. Two people who could have almost completely, totally different be almost be completely living in two different realities based on the the media that they're consuming right and this is exactly how propaganda works right when you have like this systematic program of lies and i'm not going to get into you know which side is the truth and which side is the propaganda i'll let that uh, leave that to you to decide but this is how propaganda works a systematic program of lies and this is exactly how satan blinds minds so that they cannot see and perceive the truth and the goodness 
that is in the gospel. Right? I, I would almost say that media and culture are like a back door into our hearts and minds. Right? They, they shape us without us realizing they are shaping us. Right? It's like a back door. And you know, at the risk of sounding like an old school Bible thumper, um, I think the truth is that this world that we live in is utterly saturated with Satan's propaganda and lies, right? That from the music we listen to, the movies that we watch, social media, advertising, even in, within the educational system, philosophy, philosophy history, politics, every, every corner of our culture, I think, has been influenced by Satan's lies and his propaganda. And that for, for many people, uh, Jesus and the gospel are perceived as just you know, too ridiculous, too archaic, too unsophisticated, to even really even warrant consideration. See? Blinded. Right? It's almost as if Satan has just swooped in and you know, taken the word before you even have a chance to see its light. And so I think the first failure point of discipleship for many people is to never get started at all. You know, they dismiss Jesus and his word out of hand because it just seems too ridiculous to even really consider, right? Like, no, 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 no educated person would ever really consider something like this to be true. Now, I mean, if you're here today and that's you, first of all, it's amazing that you're here. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's not a, uh, an, an accident that you're here. Perhaps there's divine uh, appointment there. But my encouragement to you, if that is you, is... Um, Try to have an open mind. Try to really open your mind to the possibility that there is something uh, to Jesus and engage, and engage with it. Okay? All right, the next one. The second potential failure point in, with, in the journey of discipleship is uh, having no foundation. Right? Having no foundation. So this is, you know, the, the, the seed, the word of God, it falls on the rocky soil and immediately it, it, it grows, it sprouts, but then it says it quickly dies because it has no root, right? No foundation. And so these, he, Jesus says, these are the people who they receive the word with joy, right? They receive it with joy. You know, they like Jesus. They, they want to be a part of what's going on because it seems like a very good thing. Uh, maybe they really like the Bible talks, or they like going to church. They they like the singing and and the music. Maybe they just like the positivity of it and the and the morals, or you know, just the community of it, right? Like how you know, church just kind of feels like a family, and it just feels like something good to be a part of, and and they want to be a part of that. It just makes them feel good to be around it. But Jesus says, uh, for these, when times of testing come, they quickly fall away. Right? He says, you know, when the worries or the stresses or the hardships come, or, or even uh, persecution, right? When, when, when some sort of cost comes with being associated with Jesus or, or the church or whatever, that uh, these people, they quickly fall away. And he says that the reason for that is they have no root, right? So I guess the question is, what is that root? Like, what is the root of being a disciple of Jesus? Well, you know, we know for a plant, a root is the thing that, it's what grounds the plant, right? It's what keeps the plant uh, securely planted in the ground so it's not blown away by the wind or washed away by the, by the rains. But it's also the source of receiving sustenance, right? It's a source of receiving nutrients for the plant. Right? And so what is that root? What is that foundation for you know, a follower of Jesus? And I, I think that you know, my, my, best, my best guess here is that I feel that the, the root of being a disciple of Jesus is that 
is that personal conviction, right? That, that personal conviction, that personal surrender, as, as Tom was leading us in, in the songs today, that, that personal surrender to Jesus, right? It's that point where you kind of cross over from, you know, you, you, you kind of cross over from, you know, I like Jesus. He, he's a very uh, a great man to Jesus is my Lord. <laughs> Jesus is my Lord and my God and my life belongs to him, right? It's that, that, that personal relationship where it moves from liking Jesus to loving Jesus, where Jesus is more than uh, just a wise man, and I like what he says, but Jesus is Lord over all. And, and whether in blessing or in sorrow, I will trust and obey him. I, I think that is the difference. That's the root of, of this, uh, this journey of discipleship, that foundation and I said, so the failure point here is not having that personal, that personal conviction, that personal relationship um, with Jesus. And so, um, you know, maybe you're here today and you're like, honestly, that kind of sounds like me. <laughs> you know, you're here and it's like, yeah, I think that's totally me. Uh, first of all, I just want to say, you know, whatever reason brings you here, you know, whatever reason brings you here, whether you like the singing, you, you like the portos and the coffee, you just enjoy the community, you just enjoy a break from the kids for an hour, you just like the good vibe, whatever reason brings you here, I, I think I can safely say on behalf of everybody that uh, you are welcome to be here till the end of time for whatever reason brings you here. <laughs> like, eat as much portos as you want. Like, you are welcome here always for whatever reason brings you here. But, I think we also want you to know there's still so much more. Right? There's still so much more that we want for you. We want for you to see and we want for you to know. You know, to have that, that foundation in you that when the winds of worries and, and hardships come, that you'll, you'll find that there's that quiet peace and that quiet joy, that, that, that whisper of God within you that, that, that is always with you, that that grounds you and keeps you rooted in the love of Jesus. And so, you know, whatever, bring, whatever reason brings you here, we're, we're glad you're here, but we hope that you won't stop with just liking Jesus, but that you'll find love, right? Because that's ultimately what we desire for all of you. All right, let's keep going. No time to, no time to simmer. All right, the next, I think, potential failure point that Jesus identifies here in this parable is um, unchecked sin, okay? unchecked sin in our lives. He says that there's some seed that falls among the thorns or weeds, and it grows, but as it grows, the, the, the thorns and the weeds grow along with it and eventually choke the life out of, out of the seed, out of the plant. And Jesus says that, you know, here, well, first, let's talk about weeds, okay? I, I don't know anything about weeds. I'm not a gardener or anything like that, but um, so this is what I read about weeds. Uh, weeds are invasive growths that compete with other plants for nutrients from the soil or even compete for space or even sunlight. Okay, so that's basically what weeds are. I mean, um, and usually what, what makes a weed a weed, like why we classify it as a weed is because it doesn't have any real value. It has no value as food, you know, it doesn't taste very good. It has no value as like, like medicinal purposes or whatever it might be, like it just, has no beneficial purpose whatsoever. And so these weeds, they, they slowly begin to propagate more and more, and uh, they steal the vitality from the other plants, and, and uh, eventually making them weaker and less healthy. And 
these weeds can eventually, <laughs> if we're not mindful of them, completely collapse the ecosystem of your garden, right? And, and destroy your garden, basically. And so here Jesus says these weeds, these weeds are this, this third potential failure point. And, and I'm really keying in on what he said here. He said, uh, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. And so to me, that, that really, it, it sounds like sin, right? That he says that if we allow th- these, these sins to remain unchecked in our hearts and in our lives, that eventually it chokes uh, the life of, of the word. It chokes our faith out of us. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to like watch a plant grow, <laughs> but basically it's like almost impossible to, to see it, right? Like it's imperce- imperceptible to the naked eye, really, to see a plant grow. It's so slow. And I, I think that the nature of how sin begins to steal the vitality of our, our faith from us is, is very much like that. It's, it's slow, very slow. It's insidious. It's almost imperceptible to the naked eye. Right? The weeds, for a long time, they grow alongside the plants, and they both go along fine for a very long time. Right? It, this may be a very poor analogy, but I am Korean, so I grew up eating kimchi at home. This, this, this is specifically for Koreans, but maybe you'll be able to catch some of this. But like, so Korean people, you always have like a jar of kimchi in your refrigerator at all times. It's just always. And kimchi goes through like a life cycle, <laughs> basically, right? That when you first make it, when you first jar it, it's nice and fresh, right? It just tastes delicious, it's all good. But then the next stage of the kimchi jar is um, when you open the jar, you notice that it starts starting to smell, <laughs> right? But it's only when you open the jar. And then when you close the jar, you don't smell it anymore. But you notice, okay, this smells kind of, kind of funky. The next progression of the life cycle of kimchi is you start to notice every time I open the refrigerator, it kind of smells in the house, right? But it's only when I open the refrigerator. Otherwise, it's contained. But every time I open the door, I smell it. And then the next progression is no matter what, it just stinks in the house, right? Like you can smell it at all times. Whether the jar is open or not, whether the refrigerator is open or not, it just smells in the house. But the last progression of the life cycle of kimchi is you don't smell it anymore at all. <laughs> you don't smear it, smell it at all. Only when somebody else comes into your house do they notice <laughs> that it smells. But you just, you become desensitized to it, right? You're, you're, you're so used to it, you, you don't perceive it anymore. <laughs> and I, I think it, it's similar to the, the way that sin works, right? That there's this slow progression. And it eventually we become desensitized even to, to, to the sin and its influence in our lives where we don't even perceive it anymore. And so if we allow sin to remain in our hearts and, 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 and lives unchecked, undealt with for long enough, it grows slowly around our hearts, sealing that vitality of our faith, desensitizing us until one day we look up and we wonder, like, what happened? Like, what happened to me? How did I end up here? Like, what happened to my relationship with Jesus? I, I, was, I used to be so close to him. I, I was going so well. How did I get so off track? How did I drift so far away from him? You know, unfortunately, in the last year or so, I mean, I feel like you could say this almost any year, but unfortunately, in the last year or so, there have been a couple like high-profile like moral failures from you know, very high-profile Christian leaders. 
you know, like some of you, you might be familiar with some of them, maybe you're not, um, but like Rav, Rav, Ravi, Ravi Zacharias and uh, um, Bill Hybels. So, and so, you know, they were both, you know, kind of had catastrophic falls from grace for just uh, moral failures in their lives. And the thing is, these epic moral failures, I don't think they just happen overnight. They don't, it's not like they just had one bad day and they had this epic, you know, collapse of their lives and, and ministries. But rather, it's, it's a long time in the making. A long time in the making. A whole history of steps. Little steps. And then another little step. Another little decision. And another little compromise. You know, without accountability. Without confession. Without support. Without vigilance. And before it all came crashing down, really it's the end of a very long journey of a lot of little steps before that, that happens. And so I think the action items here are really just to take an honest look at ourselves, confess to Jesus what needs to be confessed, seek out support um, from a few trusted friends for the things that we need support for, ask for professional help for things that maybe we, you know, are, are beyond us <laughs> and beyond our circle, and, and we need you know, more support on those things. And, you know, I mean, please understand, we're not talking about guilt and shame and, and perfection. You know, we're, we're talking about recognition. <laughs> recognition, awareness, healthy support, and, of course, grace. Lots and lots and lots of grace. But th there has to be that recognition. There has to be that awareness there. We can't just let it be this thing that's growing on the side of us that we just try to ignore and think, well, no one's ever going to see. It's, it's, it'll probably be okay. And Jesus warns us that is a potential failure point for our discipleship. All right, so I, I've used up all, I've never felt like I've ever had enough time for any sermon in my entire life, and today is no exception. But let me just close now with just a few, just one few thought on um, the last soil, the good soil, right? You know, he, Jesus says the, good, the seed falls on the good soil and it grows and it, it bears much fruit, right? But I think there's actually a secret hidden fourth potential failure point here. And actually, it's easier to see. So in Luke chapter 8 is um, another telling of this parable of the sower. But Luke, he adds one word to this fourth soil. He says, and by persevering, produce a crop. And by persevering, produce a crop. Here's why I think that's important. I think maybe sometimes we assume that if something is God's will, that it will happen easily. I think sometimes we have that unspoken assumption. Like, if something is really God's will, if God was really in this, that it would be easy. Like, that it would um, just happen. It would come naturally. It wouldn't be a struggle if God is really in this. And kind of on the other side, if it is a struggle, then God must not be in it. Right? I think we have sort of that unspoken kind of thought. But here we see, even with the good soil, it is only with perseverance that it produces good fruit. And so discipleship, spiritual growth, God's, God's calling in our lives, even if they are God's will, it will probably require persistence, perseverance, hard work, blood, sweat, and tears to produce that crop. And so don't give up. And don't assume something is not God's will simply because it's hard. And so I'll just leave us with this last verse, Galatians chapter, chapter 6, verse 9. And we'll close. But it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if 
we do not give up. Let me, let me close this in prayer. Jesus, uh, thank you so much for, for, do, for sparing no expense, doing whatever it took to open the door of grace for us. Lord, I also thank you that you, you respect us enough to give us freedom to choose. I pray for all of my friends here, my brothers and sisters, that they would choose to pursue the truth. They would choose to, choose to pursue you. And Lord, help us to just be mindful of these potential failure points in our discipleship, Lord, that, that can potentially short-circuit the, the good work that you're trying to do and the, the life that you're trying to, to grow in us, Lord. And so I, I just pray and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.